0: do open your Bibles again to the portion we just read, Luke chapter 8. And we're looking again at verses 4 to 21, mainly to the the latter part of that section. And uh, yeah, we started this a month ago, part one, this is part two. And um, under the overall theme, take heed, How you hear, if you remember that word take heed is behold, it's sometimes translated behold, so look at the way you listen. Think about, look into your whole listening process and uh, make sure that you listen well. Uh, Jesus really is putting a great deal of responsibility onto his hearers here. He who has ear, let him hear. Uh, The difference between fruitfulness and absolutely nothing is actually the quality of the soil not the ability of the sower. Take heed, a huge amount of responsibility has been placed upon the hearers. And last time we looked at the first three soil types in that parable that he told, um, saying, well, take heed how you hear, because there are many hindrances. And the three we looked at were the hindrance of a hard heart, a person like the. But the seed where it falls on the pathway, this is hard and resistant, just says, I don't, frankly, just don't want to know. I don't want to hear. The consequence of that, of course, was therefore they will not be saved. I don't want to hear the way of salvation. I don't want to hear about sin. I don't want to hear about forgiveness. I don't want to hear about the consequences of the way I'm living. I just want to go my own way. (coughs) Consequences, you will be lost forever disastrous or it might be someone who is a believer but says I don't want to hear what God is saying about that particular subject what loss what terrible terrible loss so that hindrance one number one our hard hearts hindrance number two was our half heartedness just the top part grows bits that can be seen I'll live an outwardly Christian sort of life even joyfully so but I'm not going to invest in really knowing God, in real spiritual maturity and strength. And therefore, when things don't go well, and there's no payback from looking like a Christian, well, I'll give up. Because I have no real depth, never really invested in the secret things that nobody sees. Real time getting a getting rele- deep, profound relationship with God of faith and obedience and then the third hardship was was the uh, third hindrance was hardships and happinesses the, the sorrows and the joys the po- poverty and the riches the cares and the pleasures of life which in fact if we learn how to respond to them as Paul learnt how to be both abound and abased then they can strengthen us they can be means by which we grow strong but if we don't learn how to handle them they can throttle us and we do not become fruitful but now this evening I want to move on to the 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 fourth soil type and the the passage which follows on from that in Luke chapter 8 so here we are take heed how you hear because the farmer is looking for a harvest of course he is Why else does he sow seeds? Why else does he throw food on the ground? Well, because he wants to have a hundred times as much food come back. That that seed, well, that could be ground and into flour and made into bread. Why throw throw it on the ground? Because he wants a harvest. He throws away, as it were, one loaf. He wants a hundred loaves back. throws out one seed he wants a hundred seeds back he's looking for a harvest why else would someone preach God's word which is what all this stands for and signifies why else would someone teach God's word or preach God's word well because they're looking for a harvest why did, why was Jesus teaching in the villages of Israel why did he do it looking for a harvest looking for results well, the question is, and this is the question I set you for homework, is what's the harvest? What is the harvest of this seed being sown? And I want to suggest two, two types of harvest, two, two results that could be signified by the harvest. Two different ways of understanding this, and uh, I think Jesus developed them both, and they're both represented in the passage that we've just read. Um, And the way that Luke records Jesus' teaching in this particular part of his gospel. And the first one is this, and the most obvious one is this. The harvest is more seed. Verse 8, it yielded a crop a hundredfold. So he planted one one seed, and a good harvest means get back a hundred seeds. What is the seed? Well, he says the seed is the word of God who plants, that plants the seed of God's word in one person's heart in one person's mind they take heed how they hear and the consequence is that a hun- they can tell a hundred more people there's no limit on that but <laughs> they can tell a hundred, you know, the, the seed is multiplied that's the most obvious understanding visualising this parable the harvest is more seed the harvest is more communication of God's truth is more planting of God's word in people's hearts and minds. So take heed how you hear, because the farmer is looking for a harvest, God is looking for a harvest, and the harvest is us spreading God's word even wider. Now let's try to face that tricky little bit that comes between the telling of the parable and the explaining of the parable in Luke chapter 8. I'm sure you have often puzzled over this, and I'm I'm not going to give the full explanation of it now, but one that seems to come out very strongly in Luke's um, description of Jesus' teaching at at this point. Um, Verses 9 and 10. Then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing that they may not understand. Now there's a quotation from Isaiah and very, very likely in Isaiah's original stating of that there was an element of judgment upon the people of God who had heard God's word, been told and warned and warned and warned but they'd rebelled and didn't want to know anymore. And so, actually, even what they thought they had came to nothing. And there may well be an element of that here as well, as Jesus actually developed that thought, didn't he? But one reason I think that this is very, really very puzzling is this. Why would Jesus come into the world as the light of the world and deliberately conceal the truth? Why would he teach publicly at all if he didn't want everybody to understand? Why not just teach his disciples? Why would he, in effect, light a lamp and put it under a bucket so that people would see but not see, hear but not hear, hear but not understand? Of course, he has perfect liberty to do that And he's at perfect liberty to do that in order to speak in a way that condemns and judges people who don't want to hear. Of course he has perfect liberty to do that, but in verse 16 we read this. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. He's saying no one would come and Teach the truth in such a way that nobody can hear it. Doesn't make sense. No one would do that. But we scratch our heads and say, uh, isn't that what you've just said you are doing? But then you go on and say, no one does it. Did anybody do this bit of hope, the homework? Verse 17, for nothing, he goes on to say, that show that actually this covering over is only temporary. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, and remember he's talking to his disciples now, therefore take heed how you hear. He's saying this to his disciples to whom has been given the privilege of understanding the secrets of the kingdom of God. Not to the others, not yet. At present only they know. They should take heed how they hear because for the time being some of the things that Jesus is teaching have to be kept somewhat cryptic, somewhat hidden. But the time will come when they have to take the lid off and let everybody know. So you, you take heed how you hear, because you've got a big job coming. At the moment, I don't want everybody to understand everything. But the time is coming when you are going to tell the world the truth and lift the lid off the lamp and let the light shine out. If you're in doubt about this, it Mark's a record of it, Mark four twenty-two, 22, puts it in a slightly different language. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret that should come to light. There is a shouldness about this. It must happen. It must be revealed. should happen. So the purpose was that it would be published abroad at the right time, and that would be the disciples' job. Stick with me for a while. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in the end. and Hopefully it will all become clear. Because the Lord Jesus was teaching some very revolutionary things. And there were enemies who were listening to try to find something that he would say they could use against him to condemn him. Now, yes, he did come to give his life. He did come to die. But it had to be in the right place at the right time and in the right way. Not by stoning. Not by pushing, being pushed off a cliff. Not where he was at the moment, but it had, to be by, it had to be in Jerusalem, at the Passover, by crucifixion. So the whole situation had to be managed very carefully. And his teaching was often given in a way that not everybody would be able to understand. But his disciples, he invested specially in them. That they would know, and they, they must listen and remember. And aren't we the beneficiaries of that? Hence the Gospels. He didn't want those self-righteous, know-it-all Pharisees, for example, to be able to twist his words. He entrusted his teaching to his chosen few, but even they would not understand everything at first. For example, if you turn on a few pages to chapter 18 and verse 34, where Jesus had been teaching again about his arrest and his torture and his execution and his resurrection, we're told this. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. So even some of the things, they, they, should, they were to remember it, even if they didn't understand it. Because the time would come when they would understand it, and when they would have, would have to tell the world about it. Three times, actually, in that one verse... We're told they didn't understand. They did not understand. Its meaning was hidden from them. They did not know what he was talking about. So in a way he was talking, a way he knew they wouldn't understand yet. But the time would come after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension, after the sending of the Holy Spirit, when they were to take the lid off this lamp, take it out from under the bed, and tell the world. So Luke's gospel ends like this chapter 24, verses 45 to 49, right at the end of Luke's gospel, and he opened their understanding. This is after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, obviously before he ascended to heaven. He opened their understanding so they might comprehend the the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You see what he said? Take heed how you hear. Because you are given these special, special understanding. To you it is being revealed. And even to them, not everything. They didn't understand everything at the time. He explained it all later. You take heed because they don't know yet. But by the time you reach the end of the gospel, you go and tell the world now. Take the lid off, the, 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 the lamp, and let it shine. So take heed how you hear, because you are, you are given the special privilege of knowing the truth. And your job to tell the world after I have finished my death and resurrection in the right way, at the right time, and in the right place. You with me? Yeah? So take heed how you hear. Now how does all that apply to us? Well, obviously those disciples were in a special you know very very special and unique situation. When we are not in that position, the same position. But it does apply to us in this way that still we hear in order to tell. I mean, take heed how you hear so that you can tell other people. So that that one seed that's planted in your mind, in your heart, that you receive and understand, you can pass it on a hundredfold to other people and tell them. Now, I know we should always apply what we hear and what we read to ourselves first. But there's also a place for for these kind of questions. How could I explain this? to that friend, that colleague, that family member? How could I use that illustration or that preacher used this morning to help that friend to understand more clearly? Or what does this mean to non-believers in general? Or how can I pray for this person... On the lines of what I've just read in the Bible, my own my Bible for myself. It's great value, isn't there, in, you know, for your own Bible reading to take a thought for the day and keep on mulling it over during the day and meditating on it in, on the day and applying it to yourself but also then applying it to other people you know and thinking, how can I share this? Who can I tell about this? Who can I enrich with this or challenge with this or help with this one way or another? Take heed how you hear, so you can share this message with a hundred other people. Because that, is, that was their responsibility in a very special way, but it is our responsibility as well, isn't it? That's one part of the harvest. A second sort of harvest is <clears throat> the harvest of our own changed lives. What we would often refer to as the fruit of the spirit. If you don't use it, you lose it. Verse 18, "Take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him will be given more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him." Verse 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. and it was told him by some who said, "Your mother and bro- your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you." But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The real spiritual family of Jesus are people who don't just hear the word, but who live it out. I think the point here is not really a comment on the spiritual state of Mary or Jesus' half-brothers, but rather an elevation of the importance of the people who are right there with Jesus, who are listening to his word very carefully. Concentrating and thinking through what he was saying. Have you ever ever asked yourself this? Wondered this this point? I've often thought about it. Um, Did Jesus look like his mum? I don't. I don't know. Maybe you do, but I don't. But I don't see why he wouldn't. Because he was a true human being and he was her biological mother. So did he look like his mum? And did he look a bit like his half brothers and sisters? I don't see why not. But so he's visualised the scene here now. So let's suppose this is the room that Jesus was in and teaching, and there were there his his biological family half family or whatever you want to call it was outside the door and wanted to get in but there was too many people inside they couldn't get in too crowded so a message comes through and um, I wonder if people looked out through the, the windows uh, and said oh, doesn't he look like his mum I wonder I don't know maybe they did whether they did or whether they didn't here's a fact those people in the room should look like him not, not physically, not biologically, but behaviorally, morally. Should look like him. There should be a family likeness. Mm. This, these are my these are my mother and my brothers. These are the people who really like me, because they hear God's word. And they do it. They actually obey. It. They actually start living the way God has said. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is a harvest in, in their lives. So that, that's one. That's one part of it. We we must resemble Jesus in the way we behave. We must look like him, and that, and that of course is why I read at the beginning of the service those verses from Romans eight. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the like, to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. (laughs) Here in my mother and my brothers. Destined by God to be conformed to look like me. Not physically, but behaviourally, morally, spiritually. To resemble me. To live like me, talk like me, to think like me, to relate like I do. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So let us make sure that we take heed how we hear, because our destiny is to grow to be like Jesus. And that is a huge aspect of how part of how that's going to come to pass. So when we listen to a sermon or when we read the Bible for ourselves, look for things to do. We hear God's word and do it. So look for things to do or not do. Can I ask you this question? You're not going to like me for this. You really are not going to like this. But I'm, gonna, I'm, going, I'm going to I'll give it to myself now. When was the last time you changed something in your life because something you read in the Bible or heard preached? When was the last time you actually said, I've got to change that in my life? And you did it. Or is God not speaking to you? Or, are you already perfect? I said you wouldn't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either. We had a, a baptismal service uh, a few Sunday mornings ago at Hayes Lane, and one of the people baptized, she's a teenage girl, she's just kind of in her... A-level course, and she said, I can't remember exactly how old it was, I think, she said, I think it was when she was six years old, she said, "But she knew all of the kings of Israel from the Bible. Not personally, but she knew their names. I thought, I don't, well, I don't, I don't even know them now. I don't want to tell you how old I am, but um, probably you know. But um, that's amazing. But she said, "But well, I wasn't a believer." So what did she have? She had, well, the answers to lots of questions in Sunday school. A few answers if she wanted, if she ever went on University Challenge or Mastermind or whatever it was, whatever it might be, Trivial Pursuit, Bible quiz. But what was it? What did that add up to? What she needed then and what she has now is not just to know the names of the kings in the Bible but to know, to bow the knee to the one king. That's what she needed. And that's what we need, isn't it? Because otherwise what we think we have, what does it add up to? You know... Anybody here six years old knows all the names of the names of all the kings of Israel? I'm not going to test you. I wouldn't know if you got it right anyway without looking it up. Um, maybe some of us here could say, I, I know ever such a lot of what the Bible says. I've been Sunday school since I was before I can remember. Been to church over and over and over again. I, I know loads of stuff. But do you actually have it? Does it actually do anything in your life? If you don't use it, what do you actually have? What good is it to know the names of all the kings of Israel? Unless you say, they all failed. And if I try to be the king or the queen of my own life, I'm going to make an absolute wreck of it. What I need to do is to bow to the one king, the one great king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went into battle for me and won a great victory. And what I need is to bow in my heart to him. Now, if you do that, even if you don't know the names of any of the other kings of the Old Testament, if you do that, you have everything. You have everything. If you know all the names of the Old Testament and don't have Jesus, you know nothing. Nothing. But take heed how you hear. This needs to bear fruit in your life. Has to do something. I don't know. Old people here, young people here, know loads of stuff. Perhaps loads. Maybe you know far, far more than I do. Doesn't matter. Do you know Jesus? You bowed your knee to him. Have you received God's truth and done something with it? And yes, I must follow Jesus. I must trust in Him. I must believe that He died for me, and my sins are gone. And God chooses to remember them no more. And I am forgiven, and I will follow Him the rest of my life. Whatever else you know, make sure you know that and you put it into practice. Bow the knee to the one true and great King because the people whom Jesus described with what must surely be the warmest of all possible terms here are my mother and my brothers. The people who hear God's word and do it. And do it. Oh, here, here, with the ear of faith, here, Jesus' tenderest possible description of you. This is my child. This is my brother. This is my sister. This is my mother. Because they have heard. And they have taken heed. With good and noble heart. And this truth has done something in their life. then they have bowed the knee to me. And trust me as their saviour. And then here with the ear of faith. That warmest description of you. Safe in the family of Jesus. Forever. Don't miss out on that. last comment let's visualise the situation again here's the crowd around Jesus listening how are we to obey this what should we do want to know want to follow and outside what do his biological mother and half brothers want to do what do they want to do, do you remember they wanted to see, they wanted to see him, and they couldn't. But what did the crowd, what could the crowd in the room do? The people who were who his mother and brothers spiritually, and who were listening and obeying the word of God, they could see him. They were with him, they were close to him. They could hear his voice. He could see his face. Now, okay, we can't do that, I know, but we can know his nymphs. And the more closely we walk with him, the more closely we can be assured that he is with us. The more likely we are to sense his presence. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes we go through extremely dry times. But with a faith we can say, I take what God has said and I do something with it and I... Could I tell a, can I tell that story? I was reminded last time I came. I don't know when this was, but you've got a fantastic memory. Three cats. Okay, Three cats walking along the top of a wall. One at the front is called Facts. The one in the middle is called Faith. And the one at the back is called Feelings. And they're walking that way. Doesn't really matter, but that's the way they're walking. (laughs) Well, it does matter actually, because faith is at the front. Now, as long as the cat in the middle, whose name is Come on, you weren't listening. Faith. As long as the cat in the middle, whose name is Faith, keeps its eyes on the cat at the front, whose name is Facts, keeps its balance on this narrow wall, and keeps going. And the cat behind, whose name is. Feelings. Tags along. Sometimes close, sometimes a bit further away. But, when the cat in the middle, whose name is. Turns around and pays too much attention to the cat at the back, whose name is. It's likely, especially if feelings is a long way away to lose its balance and fall off the wall. But the cat at the front, whose name is... A-Face. stays absolutely the same and unchanged. The moral of the story is this. that Our faith is based upon facts and not on feelings. The facts never change, but the feelings do. To be stable and safe We need to take God's word, take heed how we hear, and say, I want to use this when feelings seem a long way away, especially then, and be stable and secure and safe. Because the the facts never change. The people who were there and actually saw him in his presence closest to him were those who hear God's word and do it. Take heed how you hear. To be stable, strong, safe and secure.